So we're going we're gonna to look at the parable of Jesus this morning, and if you've been in church for more than five minutes, this will not be the first time you've heard this parable. And it's across a lot of the Gospels, it's where Jesus is, uh, I like Matthew's version a lot because it says, Jesus grew a great cl- uh, crowd and he sat down and the rest of the people stood up. Why don't we do that here this morning? You know, that'd be awesome. I could just sit down here and you guys could stand the whole time. Um, but that's not the way it works. But we're going to be reading from Luke chapter 8 this morning. And if you want, you can find your way in a, in a Bible. We, we do have the words up on the screen, but it's always a good practice to bring your physical Bible with you. Uh, you want to make a note in there. You get acquainted with where it is in your Bible. Um, and so just, just keep your, your finger there this morning. But we're going to look at a parable of Jesus. And if, you've, if you're familiar with the New Testament, and especially the Gospels, you see that Jesus often speaks in what's called a parable. And a parable is, is basically like an allegory. It's a, it's a story that is meant to point us and his disciples to help us understand really who God is and the kingdom of God, what the kingdom of God is. And Jesus does this often, and, and he's, he gives us this story um, of, of a sower throwing out seeds. I did this one time with my daughter, Asia, um, who is now... Uh, up in Dallas, we just drove her, we did a long trip, uh, two days of driving to Dallas, drop her off, a lot of tears, a lot of tenderness, uh, and, then, and then we were in Dallas, and many of you know we spent 10 years in Houston, so we thought, of course, we cannot be so close to, to Houston and not spend the weekend and see our friends, Brian and Rachel, who lead a church one life there, and uh, the team that we spent 10 years with. And so we drove down and spent the Sunday with them. Thank you guys for letting us uh, enjoy that. And then lo and behold, after we drop Asia off, she says, hey, Dad, I'm going to drive back down to Houston and spend the weekend with the church there. And I was like, yes, but I don't want to say goodbye to you again. And so uh, Sunday after church, we filled her car up with gas and gave her a hug in the parking lot of the gas station and tears flowed again. Um, but I remember her being, I don't know how old she was, but she was transitioning from middle school into junior high into Texas. And in, in junior high for Texas is sixth grade. Elementary school, my bad. I don't know. I'm a dad. I don't know these things. Just you go, right? You go to school. And I remember her being timid and, 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 and all of the fears that came with her because there was going to be this change in her life, and I said, Asia, I remember driving her, it was during the fall, and I said, do you see the trees? She's like, yeah, Dad. I said, what do they look like? I said, they look dead, and they're brown. And I said, yeah, that's because there's seasons that happen in our life, and sometimes the seasons are full of green, and it's joyful, and it's happy, and the sun's shining, and it's easy, and the, you know, all of the things that we want in life feels like this is, this is the good life, and then there's sometimes in seasons of our life where the trees look drab and the leaves fall down and everything's brown and cold and chilly and foggy. You drive in here this morning and could barely see like 100 feet in front of me. And I said, baby, it doesn't mean though that for the rest of your life these trees will always be brown and, you know. And I said, you're in a season where even though this is true, a new season's coming. And while you're scared and while it's hard and all of the new things and Girls who are, I remember, maybe this is inappropriate, but I remember dropping her off the first day at elementary school, is it elementary, junior high, middle school, I don't know, whatever you call it, and her sixth grade, she was just this little, hi, I'm Isa, you know, 
know? And these girls who were looking developed, if you know what I'm saying, and they were still in junior high, and I go, oh my gosh, how am I dropping my sixth, year, sixth grader off with these kids? I mean, there were kids with beards. I mean, it's Texas, so <laughs> corn-fed. But Jesus does the same thing. He, he uses these parables because he wants us to see, hey, the things of God, it meets us where we are. It's, it's real life things that are happening. And so he tells a story of a sower. So if you have your Bible, turn to Luke chapter 8. We're going to read the first four, verse, four verses here, and it says this. When a great crowd was gathering and people from town after town came to him, speaking of Jesus, he said in a parable, a sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yield a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. My friend, one of my best friends, I remember he was telling a story of him driving his son to school and his son said, Dad, you know what? I wish there were no adults. And my friend was like, oh, okay, I'm not sure how to take that as an adult, as your dad. What do you mean by that? And he says, because if there were no adults, I could do whatever I want. I remember when I was an intern, um, when we were first married, I was an intern at the church. I was making, what, $200 a month? $400 a month. Um, And I remember when the lead pastor would go away, there was this saying, the cat's away, the mice will play. And it it would seem like in the staff, people would come in late to the office. People would show up whenever. There were less meetings. It was kind of this idea that, you know, We could kind of do whatever we want because the person who keeps us in check is not here. And Jesus is telling us this morning, he's saying, listen, listen to me. Don't be the final arbiter, is that the word, of your life. See, especially in the Western American Christian church, we think that we can kind of pick and choose from Scripture the things we like and the things we don't like. We can kind of take the things that we've grown up and the way we understand them to be and apply it to our lives. And the things that are really hard, the things that we particularly don't like about the things that Jesus has said or any, or any of the epistles or any of these kind of things, even the Old Testament, we look at these examples and we go, yeah, it's in there, but that's really hard. I don't like it. I'm not going to think about it. I'm going to ostrich my head in the sand. And Jesus says, he or her who has ears, let him hear. And my encouragement to us this morning, Southlands, really what we're supposed to do with this parable is we're supposed to examine our hearts. 
We're supposed to look at this soil as Autumn so wonderfully displayed here and teaches our kids in such a simple way that they can understand. And the same thing Jesus this morning is saying to you, which soil are you this morning? What is the condition of your heart and your mind? Where do you fall in the story? Because I guarantee there's no one in this room who doesn't somehow fit into one of these categories. And maybe you're two or three or all four of them, which is weird, but it can be true. And so Jesus is saying to us this morning, listen to me. He's not talking about the physical ears, right? Lest we think somehow that Jesus is saying, hey, disciples, listen to what I'm saying. He's not saying just hear with your ears because what, what can happen with that? I mean, my kids all the time, I'll say something and they're like, uh-huh. And then five seconds later, what did I say? Uh-huh. You didn't hear anything I said. You just physically heard it. And Jesus is requiring of us this morning that we hear with our hearts, right? And that his word penetrates our hearts. Jesus would also speak in parables uh, to weed people out. I mean, I think that's the appropriate word here this morning since we're talking about agriculture. But see, the disciples, what happens here is Jesus tells this parable, and the disciples think, you know, like, well, let's ask Jesus what he's really talking about, but let's do it away from everybody because we're the disciples and we're supposed to know what Jesus is already talking about. But they come up to Jesus and they're like, Jesus, listen, why do you talk in parables? And this is Jesus' response. Matthew chapter 13 says this in verse 13. says, this is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is filled that says, you will indeed hear but never understand, and you will indeed see but never perceive, for this people's heart has grown dull. And with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. Jesus, why do you speak like this? Jesus, why do you kind of make it a little mysterious? And Jesus is saying, It's because people will hear in one ear and it'll go out the other ear. And I want people to examine. I want people to engage. And he said, blessed are you because Jesus, uh, my Father in heaven has chosen you. You are my disciples. And because of that, I'm going to open up your eyes. I'm going to open up your hearts to even ask the question. And that gets me to my first point here, which comes from the rest of Luke, is eight, chapter 8, verses 9 through 10. It says, And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for the others they are in parables, so that seeing they might not see, and hearing they might not understand. Now, we may think, first of all, that Jesus is kind of being mean to everybody. Like, why would God try to speak in a way that's mysterious? And I think... That being a true disciple of Jesus means that we seek to know what Jesus is saying. 
That see, there should be this, when God speaks, if we don't understand like the disciples, there should be then like, if you're in school, if you're really seeking to understand the subject that your teacher is saying and trying to lead you through, and you don't understand, what should you do? Should raise your hand, right? You should be like, uh, I, I hear what you're saying, the Pythagorean theory of the obtuse angle in the uh, geometry of the 90 degree pi 3.14 equals this, uh, but I hear it, but I don't understand it. I want to know so that I can pass the test. Teacher, please explain to me all that stuff that sounds weird to me. And that's the mark of a true disciple, friends. A true disciple. It doesn't mean that you necessarily have to understand everything, right? That's, that's the way that our world teaches us what it means to be religious. Like, well, if you really are a Christian, then you'll understand everything Jesus says. No, because Jesus says some things that are hard or misunderstanding, and, and there's things we read in Scripture, we're like, wait, wait, wait. But see, a heart of a true disciple says, I don't get it. God, will you show me what that means? See, that feels contrary to me. It feels unnatural to me. Like, that's not something I normally hear in this life. My boss, my kids, my parents, my teachers, the people in the world, the people in the store, they're all saying something a little bit different. And what I see on social media, it all feels like it's going this direction. But you're saying something over here. I don't get it. Can you reveal that to me? If you're doing that, you're on a good path, friends. If you're saying, Jesus, I don't fully get it, that's okay. But I want to understand. See, that's the mark of a true disciple. And I would also say that if the hard words of Jesus are off-putting, or possibly you have rejected those things that Jesus has said, you've said, yeah, 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 this, 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 but not that then please examine your heart and ask yourself, am I a true disciple of Jesus? Because a true disciple of Jesus really doesn't question what Jesus says. Not in the sense of like, well, I don't know about that. It doesn't mean that we're not like, wait, I don't get it. It means that we're not going, Jesus, you said this, Scripture says this, I don't like that, I don't know about that. That's not a true disciple. A true disciple goes, I don't understand that. I want to understand that. Please help me understand that. You guys doing okay? Number two, I think what we need to see from this portion of Scripture is that well-worn paths are paths for Satan. Well-worn paths are paths for Satan. This is what Jesus continues, and he explains the parable, and he says this in verses 11 through 12. Now, the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. So this is, just to give you the context here, um, farmers would farm very differently back then than the way they would farm now. So if you drive down Euclid, you will see all these farms, right? If you're heading south down Euclid, you'll see all these farms on your left-hand side. And what will happen is you'll see, if you notice, these rows, right, 
of either corn or I don't know, whatever they're growing out here. And they're perfectly lined up and the, the, the tractor goes down and it plows and it makes the, 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 the soil perfect for these little rows of, of whatever they're growing. But it wasn't like that back then. The way that farmers would sow back then is they would walk out in a field and they would have a bag or a satchel over their shoulder and they would take the seed and they would just throw it out. And they would throw it out on the ground. But the problem was that back in these days, you were allowed to basically trespass on people's fields, okay? And so because people would walk through farmers' fields, they, they would walk through a certain path, and that path would get trampled over and over and over and over and over and over again to the point where the ground became so hard that it didn't matter what a farmer would spread, it didn't matter what seed it was, how good the seed was, how big the seed was, how strong the seed was, it didn't matter because when the farmer would throw the seed, it was like throwing it on concrete. You ever, you ever go hiking or you've been on somewhere, you see this path and you can see that it's well-worn and you look down and the dirt is hard and it's, all it can do is crack basically, right? The rain comes, it doesn't matter because it is so hard. Now why am I saying this morning, friends, that we need to understand that well-worn paths are paths of the enemy? Because see, what happens is that we become the final arbiter and we say, nope. That's not the way I've done it before. That's not the way we've done it before. That's not what I like. And I like to be able to walk down the path that I like because I know there's not going to be any hindrance in me getting my way. So this is the way I've walked, and this is the way I will continue to walk. And that is a hard heart. And the more that we just do things our own way, then when God comes and he says, hey, I want you to live a life that is contrary to the way of the world. The seed falls on a well-worn path and Satan comes and he's got a little snack. And he has robbed the truth that God is wanting to pour into your heart because we are sitting here saying, that's not the way I've walked before. That's not what I understand and that's not what I want because it's so hard and well-worn. You guys okay? <laughs> I'm not talking about passive unbelief here. It's not like, oh, I didn't get it. It's not my fault. I just didn't understand. No, this is outright rebellion. Remember, friends, what we're supposed to do this morning is examine our hearts. And even as if you're saying I'm a Christian, there's, there might be some of these in your heart where you're like, mm-mm, mm-mm, not that area. You, you, you're challenging me on my giving. Mm-mm, not on my giving. You're challenging me on my time, how much time I give to God. Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. Ask yourselves, what are the well-worn paths of your heart? All right, number three. Number three, we see that Jesus helps us understand that rocky soil equals a shallow heart. This is what he says in verse 13. And the ones on the rock, the seeds, are those who, when they hear the word, they receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a little while, and in time of testing, fall 
away. So much of the ground in the Middle East, the context again, come back to me here, the farmer's throwing out the soil. He's throwing it out, and some of it has already fallen on the hard paths, and the birds are just sitting there waiting, right? You know, the crows are up in the trees watching the farmer, and they're like, ooh, let some of that fall on that hard ground. It's going to be easy snack, boom. So that's already gone, but the second one is the seed comes, and he, the farmer throws it out, and it does hit some of the soil. And the soil, a lot in the Middle East, would be filled with a lot of rocks, a lot of not just perfect, like, tilled soil that we get here in Chino, where the city where everything grows. Did you guys know that's the name of our city? Yeah. Come on. You just learned something. All right. But the farmer would throw it out, and yes, some of it would find soil, but the sole problem with the soil there is that it was rocky, it was stony. And so what would happen is the seed would hit the ground, and the soil that was on top of the rock, it would start to take root, but then, as it would sprout up, the hot sun would come. You ever see a plant that looks a little, like, sad? Looks like it needs some encouragement. How you doing today, plant? It's going to be okay, plant. Hang in there, plant. What does it look like? <sighs> I need, it's like water. Because, and, and what Jesus is telling us here, he's saying, listen, some of y'all, you hear this and you're like, yes, it's so good. Your emotions are added to the word of God. You're like, <sighs> it's, it's like, um, maybe not a show of hands, but how many of you have already broken your New Year's resolution? Okay. None of us want to admit it. New Year's resolution that lasts for like three or four weeks. Why? Because we get all excited. We're like, man, this is the year, babe. This is the year we're going to get so fit. You know, we're going to look like good in the mirror. And, and then what happens? We're going to go, we're going to do whole 30. We're going to do it. And then all of a sudden, we, where do we eat last night? Roll them up taquitos, <laughs> which are pretty darn tasty. New Year's resolution kind of Christianity. The word of God comes, we get all excited about it because we feel all the feels, but when the reality of temptation comes, boom, our roots wither away because there's no substance to get us through the hardships of life, to get us through the realities that we face. And while it's good, and it's not a bad thing to be emotional and be all happy about some new thing that we've discovered in God. If it's rooted in emotion only, then when the sun of temptation comes, we find ourselves water. Eventually all dried up. This is the kind of person that says, well, you know what? I tried Jesus. I saw a bumper sticker one time said, try Jesus. And I I think I know what they were trying to say, but I was like, what a bunch of baloney. You don't try Jesus. You don't, tr that's not Christianity. Christianity doesn't say, hey, give it a go and see what happens. Give it a go and see if it's going to turn out the way you like it. Because if we have that kind of understanding toward Christianity, it will never turn out the way we like it. 
Never. It's gonna, there's going to be hardships. There will be temptations. And if we think that when we come to Jesus, we're going to try him, and all of a sudden he's going to make our lives all perfect because somebody told us a message about something good that's going to happen, and I get all excited about it, and I go out of these doors and then goes in one ear and out the other, and when the real life starts to set in, we'll say, yeah, I tried Jesus. I tried all that, and it didn't work for me. You don't try Jesus. You surrender your life to Jesus. You give Jesus everything. When he says, you shall walk this way, and this is how I've called you, he's not just your savior. He's not just the one that says, I've rescued you from sin. He's the one that also says, I demand it all. I call you to a life and a life of sacrifice and repentance. And when you call me savior, you call me Lord and master. And when we hear a word, we don't go, that was really good. The preacher encouraged me today. I feel really happy about what I heard instead of, God, I heard this. I responded with joy, but Lord, let this root go deep down beyond the rocks. If you're struggling with the same sin over and over again, that's an indicator that the soil in your heart is rocky and shallow. But if you have sin that you're saying, God, come and spray, what's the, I don't know, pesticide, what's the stuff that gives you cancer? See, I just screwed up everything now. (laughs) The problem is there's some of us who think we're Christians and we're not because we just, This is cool. I tried Jesus. I'm a Christian. No, true discipleship is saying I'll surrender my whole life, even when it's hard. What's what's the next one Jesus helps us understand? I think he's wanting to tell us that weeds will strangle the life of God. He says this in Luke 8, 14. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. So here again, the context, the farmer's throwing it out, some's hit the hard ground, and it's just like, bing, bounces right off. Some of, the wheat, some of the seed falls on some soil, but it's rocky. And for a moment, we think, oh, this is getting really exciting. See, it's starting to mature, and there's a root growing. And the little, you know, like when you're a kid, and you put the seed in the wet napkin in the plastic bag, and it's growing out, and it only lasts so long until it just becomes this white, dead thing, right? And then there's this third one where the, the soil is thrown out, but it's actually been thrown among thorns and other plants and It's already so thick, and while it finds some root, it tries its best to push through, but it gets choked out by all of the other stuff that's stealing the nutrients from what it really needs to be fruitful. See, this is the person that says, I really like God. I really like Jesus. I even like the church. I even like the stuff that we're supposed to do in church. But you know what? I'm kind of going to view Christianity as something really good that I can add to my life. 
See, what I'm going to do is I, I kind of like the other plants that were already here. I like the way that the daisies look when they come up. I like the way that this random weed, it actually, I know it's a weed, but it flowers and it's kind of pretty and I'm kind of lazy and I don't want to deal with it. So I just, the one time a year it blooms, I feel good about myself. And this is the Christian who goes, well, I like the word of God. I like the things of God, but I also like this other stuff. And friends, that's not a true disciple of Jesus. See, Jesus is the master gardener. Jesus is the sower. Jesus is the one who comes and says, for this season, I'm throwing this seed out and it can't mix with this. No matter how much you like it, I'm calling you to weed up these things that will steal the things that I'm wanting to impart into you. And we can't have both. James tells us that a double-minded man is what? He's unstable in all his ways. You ever try to go up an escalator and down an escalator at the same time? Have you ever tried to get in an elevator and go up and down at the same time? Your body won't have it. And as true disciples of Jesus, we can't hold on to the already garden that's in our hearts. See, when, when the word of God is sown, we say, Lord, is there anything in me that's, that would choke this out? Is there any stronghold that I keep going back to because I, I really like it? Or either I'm, I'm a little too lazy to let you deal with it. Or actually, Lord, it's painful. You know what? It's easy to let weeds grow. I have a big backyard. I really like my backyard. And it's, you know, and I look at it now, and when we first moved in, the homeowner or the, the person we're renting from, the landlord, did a pretty good job. It was really green. The grass was all green, and the, there, were all, there were all these like tomato plants growing, and I'm a terrible, I have a terrible green thumb. I just do. I, I'm like, I don't know. I always just like destroy my yard. And now I look at my yard and there's weeds everywhere and there's, you know, we have a gardening service and I kind of go, oh, they'll do it. But it's easy for me to just sit back and let weeds grow. You have to do nothing to let a weed grow. I, and I, I'm like, where did this weed come from? Like, there's no other weeds that just like magically went, hi, I'm here. You're like, how did it get here? You know how it got there? Because I did nothing. We need to allow God to come and say, hey boy, there's a weed right here. And if you let this keep happening, you know what? That weed's going to spread. And then that weed... You know, it's going to turn into two, and then that one's going to turn into four, and that one's going to turn into eight, and it's just exponentially. And by the end of it, well, I'm going to throw seed into your garden, and it'll, you'll think for a moment, I'm doing well because it's starting to sprout up. But then you'll be frustrated and go, God, why is there no fruit in my life? God, what's going on? I feel like I'm stuck in this pattern of just kind of starting off in an adventure with you, but then nothing really happens. And God says, son, it's because your garden is full of weeds. Will you please allow me to come and pull those out of your heart? Yeah, but what about the hole that's going to be left? 
What about the stuff that I already have? What about this way of life that I'm already kind of living? At least it's green. God says, no, it's green, but it's false. It's green, but it's a counterfeit. Will you let me come and cultivate that? Will you let, will you let me come and, and do the hard work of pulling that out? And by the way, I'm going to ask you to help me. I'm going to ask you to come out. You know, hey kids, I used, some, I used to punish them and go, all right, you did this, you got to go pull weeds, you know? But see, God doesn't punish us by pulling. He goes, come and join me. Hey, I want to show you this, you didn't know you had this giant weed. And the seeds are getting blown, and it's getting, come, come join me. Yeah, it's hard work. Here's some gloves, put them on. Your hands are going to get dirty. But I'll be there with you. We're letting Jesus get squeezed out of our lives because we think we already have a green garden that's actually full of thistles. And this is the last one. We'll end here. A good God sowing good seed on good soil produces good life. Jesus says this, Luke chapter 8, verse 15. As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word of God, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. Oh man, that's a hard one for me. I'm like, I put the seed in the ground. What the heck? It's been a day. How come I don't have pineapples? Where's Bernie at? Bernie? How long does it take to grow a pineapple? A long, two days? That's a lie. Two years. years. We won't be growing no pineapples. Let Bernie grow them. See, Jesus says, "I'm I'm the farmer, really. Here, I'm the farmer, and I'm a good farmer, and I'm throwing out good seed." that potentially is going to be good fruit for not just you, for not just you, but see what others, what's going to happen is if you allow this to, ha- to really fall on good soil, what's going to happen is you're not the only one that's going to enjoy it. The people around you are going to come and they go, I'm out of water. I'm parched. I'm starving. Look at that luscious uh, persimmon. Nah, nah gives us persimmons. Grapefruit. Look at that giant grapefruit. You're going to cut it open, it's going to be so dripping with juice. It's so lush. It's got tons of vitamins in it. See, it's not just going to be for you. Others around you are going to come and they're going to pick the fruit and they're going to taste of it and see that the Lord is good. And the good farmer wants to sow good seed on what? Good soil. What's good soil mean? Now, this is where we could really kind of get off track this morning. We could go, Kelly is telling me I need to have good soil. That means I need to morally be good all the time. That means, like, that soil, I got to be, like, on my tippy toes, and I got to do good things all the time in order for me to get good rewards. That's not the way the gospel works. See, good soil is the soil that says, I believe, help me in my unbelief. I see, I, I, I see there's this, 
this kind of, uh, I'm not sure what's going on. There's some weeds, there's rocky soil, there's hard soil. And Lord, I don't want that. And so Lord, come and cultivate my heart. That's good soil. When he, when he says, it holds it fast. Lord, throw your soil on me. Oh, I want to savor your seeds. I want to savor the word of God. I, I, want it, I want to just consume it. I want it to do in me all that it should do. I want the vaccine <laughs> to come and work its way into me so that it does what it's supposed to produce in me. Not just morally good. It means soft soil. And this is where Jesus is saying, Listen, I wish all the adults were all dead so I could do whatever I want. I wish my boss would die so I could go into work whenever I want. Some of y'all, I know that's in some of y'all's hearts. My boss was a jerk, so demanding. She's always putting me down. He's always, blah, 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 blah. he never sees. I wish they would just not really die, but just get in a bad car accident. You know? So I could just have my way. I want God to be God, but I don't want Him to tell me all this stuff. And Jesus is saying, Listen to me. Your life is not your own. You say you want to be my disciple? A disciple? Look at this. I don't think it's up there. No. Nobody gets away with saying this other than Jesus. Jesus says in John 15, verse 14, he says, you are my friends if you do what I command you. How's that going to work? Uh, let's try that, babe. You could be my wife if you do what I command you. Marianne is not impressed right now. How's that going to... Let's, let's try that in your friendships. Tell your friends, listen... Y'all could be my friends if you do what I command you to do. How's that going to work out? Not very well. Who is this that thinks that he could tell us that we can only be his friend if we do what he says? God. God says that. The beautiful thing about that is God says, when you do what I tell you to do, you're going to have good fruit. You're going to find fullness of joy. You're going to be satisfied more than anything in this world can satisfy you. Is it scary? It sure is. What if, what if God says, hey, I want you to Give all of your possessions away. What if God says, I want you to start interacting with these certain people that you don't necessarily get along with? What if God says, I want you to start giving in this area financially? What if God says, I want you to set aside this area of your life that you always vacation? I want you to actually do something. To yeah, it's scary. And Jesus says, listen to me. You are not the final arbiter of your life. I am. And I'm a good farmer. 
I'm a good sower and I sow good seed. So please let it fall on good soil so that you will have good life. Will you stand with me this morning?